Well, welcome. We're glad to see you today. And uh, I'd like you to turn in your New Testaments, if you would, to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, and we're going to look at uh, verses 16 through 18. I'd like to share a story with you as we begin today. It's kind of a parable. There was a dangerous sea coast, and shipwrecks were very frequent in that area. And so there was a group of concerned citizens, and they decided to build a rescue station. The building was just a hut, but it worked okay for a while. They only had one boat, and it was kind of dilapidated. And they had a few very devoted crewmen that kept constant watch over that area. Day and night, these courageous men would go out and face the dangers of the sea, risking their lives to save many people who were drowning out in the ocean. After a while, that little station became well-known. In fact, it became famous. Some of those were saved, as well as others in the community, wanted to become part of this mission that was taking place there. They gave their time and money to improve all of their facilities. They bought new boats. They raised enough money to replace those cots with uh, modern hospital beds. And then they even tore down that crude old station and they built a new multi-purpose facility. Well, the station became so popular that it became a gathering place for its members and some of the people of the community. It wasn't noticeable at first, but over a period of time, it looked less and less like a rescue station and more and more like a social club. In fact, its members were, were, were not really interested anymore in actually facing the dangers of the sea out there, so they hired some life-saving professionals to do the job for them. Well, one day, a large ship had a wreck right off the coast, and that hired crew went out and they rescued all the people. They were cold, they were wet, frightened. Some of them were sick. Some of them had diseases that were communicable. Some lost everything that they owned in that shipwreck. Some were uneducated, and every one of them was in need of help. The influx of shipwreck victims upset many members of that little club. And so the issue was addressed at their next board meeting. One leader said, you know, if if we allow our facility to be overrun this way, well, it's going to become run down. And we all know how expensive it can be to repair things like that. And a lot of the others agreed. But there was a handful of people who stood up and said, wait a minute. We are first and foremost a a life-saving station. We can't close our doors and and not meet the the needs of those who need us most. And the leadership said to them, basically, well, if you're not happy with the way things are being done here, then you can leave. Go down the coast and build a station of your own. And that's what they did. With a small, crude hut, they started out. They had a single boat and they had a few committed workers. Then this group of dedicated workers risked their lives to save those who were shipwrecked at sea. They saved many lives, and and soon this second life-saving station became quite popular itself. However, the members lost interest in, in going out and facing the perils of rescuing people out in that dangerous water. They, however, loved to get together and talk about their sea adventures from days gone by. And soon, like that previous station, they stopped sending boats out into the water. 
This scenario was repeated again and again over the years, and today you'll find a number of exclusive clubs along the shoreline. Shipwrecks, however, are still very frequent in those waters, but most of the people drown. As someone said, this story is really an illustration of the history of the church. It could also be called an illustration of the history of many believers' lives. However, it doesn't have to be about your life, and it doesn't have to be about this church right here. But have you discovered how easy it is to get sidetracked in the Christian life? It's so easy to take a detour and head in a different direction, although it may be a good direction. It's not the direction that Jesus Christ wants you to go. And so today we're going to look at one of Jesus' most famous sayings, and it's a teaching about what it means to follow him. The passage is found near the beginning of the oldest uh, account of the life of Jesus, the Gospel of Mark. And listen to these words in Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Now, when you first read that story, it kind of sounds like Jesus just called out to these two complete strangers. And they responded. They dropped everything that they were doing and basically just looked at him and said, Okay, we'll follow you. We'll do anything you want. Kind of like in a science fiction movie. But you know, that's not how it was. Jesus was actually not a stranger in that region. And he probably wasn't a stranger to Simon and his brother Andrew. He had been connected to the ministry of John the Baptist. And he had been preaching in that area for some time now. And there's no reason not to think that Simon and Andrew didn't have an idea of who Jesus was. And I say this because I want you to realize that their decision to follow Jesus Christ really isn't all that different from our decision to follow him today. He called to them like he calls to each and every one of us here. It's in answering that call that we fully discover who Jesus is. Now, you can kind of casually know him as you see him from a distance. And you can know him only slightly through reading books, although it may be the best books in the world. But we really get to know him intimately and in a close relationship only by following him. So there's some things about Jesus' call to Andrew and Simon that that I want us to look at. And the first thing is what it means to follow. Now that seems so simple, but maybe it's deeper than we think. What does it really mean to follow Jesus? In verse 17, Jesus said, come follow me. Now, this is different than you think a mere prophet might say. They most often would say, follow God. Follow the way of righteousness. Follow the word of God. Follow the law. But Jesus didn't say that. He said, follow me. When Jesus said, follow me, if you go back to the original language, he was actually actually saying, come behind me. Get behind me and fall into my footsteps. Go where I go. Do what I do. Talk like I talk. Live like I live. He's inviting us to live the same kind of lifestyle that he lived. 
And we need to remember that living the Christian life has a lot to do simply with just being like Jesus Christ. Now, that seems so basic. It seems so obvious. But I've been in too many, quote, Christian situations where their predominant attitude, predominant attitude was anything other than Christ-like. I've been in churches, and over the years, not just Nazarene churches, but I've had the opportunity to minister in a lot of different denominations. And I've been in churches where leaders refused to get along with each other. And they tried to hoard power. Where Sunday school teachers would gossip about this person and that person. So, man, in order to just survive, you always had to be in Sunday school to make sure they weren't gossiping about you. Where certain members made no attempt to hide their contempt for other members in the body of Christ. And this was all done out in the open. With seemingly no shame and no effort to hide any of it. Oddly, some of these churches pride themselves in being, quote, evangelical, cutting edge, closer to the original than other churches. It's amazing, this type of behavior, and I wish I could say it was rare, but I can't. Now, how many of you know this is not the way the church should be? This is not the way the church ought to operate. It isn't the way that the Christian life should be. This isn't what following Jesus is all about. In fact, my point here is not to stand an accusation of anyone else. I'm not here to point fingers at anyone, but I do think we need to stand in evaluation of ourselves. Are we doing life like Christ would have us do life? Are we living the Christian life like Jesus would have us live? You know, we need to get past the idea that Jesus demands success. And as long as we're, quote, successful, the ends justify the means. By the way, success in the Christian life is simply this, doing what Jesus wants us to do, being who Jesus wants us to be, and then leaving the results with Jesus. Do you catch that? It's not all that hard. It's doing what he wants you to do. Being who he wants you to be and then leaving the results with him. I learned that a long time ago in my Christian ministry. When I started out, well, if you've been around at all, you notice I always preach with my Bible in the hand. You know what? My hero was Billy Graham. And I figured if it's good enough for Billy Graham, it's good enough for me. And so I, I, don't, I don't use a phone. I, I don't use an iPad. I use my Bible. And Billy Graham, if you've ever been to his crusades, just has thousands of people there. And he gives the altar call at the end, and literally tons of people come. I mean, the place is just filled. And so I thought, well, I'm not dumb. Carry your Bible, hold your Bible up, preach from the Bible, give the altar call, and people will just flood to the altar. So there I was in my first church. There weren't thousands. There were 50 And so I got done with my message, and it was probably the best message that has ever been preached in the history of the Christian church. I mean, it was just really good. I knew it was good. And I gave the altar call, and I wanted to say, just look at thousands. I couldn't say that. In fact, I couldn't say that anyone came. There I was. I knew some of those people should come. I knew that they had problems. No one came. And, you know, I learned early in my ministry that I needed to trust God 
He called me to preach, and so I would preach. He called me to teach, I would teach. He called me to love people, I would love people. I did, and when I got to the, uh, the end of the message and I, I had an altar call, I left the results with him. I didn't say, Lord, there have to be so many people. You know, I've learned that a lot takes place out in the pew that I have no idea. Over the years, I've had uh, so many people come and say, you know, Pastor Larry, I didn't go to the altar, but the Lord touched me that day. And, and I've seen this over and over again. The, the word of the Lord doesn't return void. He just calls us to do what he wants us to do, and that's it. We leave the results with him, and it's so cool. I love it. That means he gets all the glory, but he can also get all the blame. I, I love what Billy Graham said. I'm just the messenger boy for Jesus. And that's all I want to be, as a messenger boy for Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus didn't really call us to lead for him. And he didn't call us to conquer for him. And he, he didn't call us to build for him. You know what he called us to do? He said, follow him. Just follow him. And this means that we need, whatever we do, we need to do it as he would do it. It means that our lives needs, need to be defined more by mercy and compassion. And less by judgment and condemnation. It means that we have absolutely no room in our lives for arrogance or ego. No room for condescension, condescension, for looking down on people. No room for self-righteousness. And absolutely no room for an unforgiving spirit in the body of Christ. I have seen more, more hurt in the church. Not over theological issues, but just simply because people wouldn't forgive people. You know? The only person that's hurt is the person who doesn't forgive. Most of the time, the other person doesn't have a clue. And we need to just learn to let go and let God. In challenging you over these few weeks to rediscover Jesus, I'm hoping that you will zero in on this crucial aspect of what it means to be a disciple. First of all, we are called to imitate Jesus. No amount of success, according to the world, can be a suitable substitute for simply fulfilling this calling of following Jesus Christ, imitating Him. When, we, when Jesus said, follow me, He was saying, be like me. Act like me. Live like me. The second thing I want you to see is how your life can have meaning. How your life can have meaning. How many of you would like to have some kind of meaning in your life? How many of you would like to make a difference in your world? Anyone here? I think we all would in some way or another. And here's a phrase that most all of you have heard at one time or another. Look at verse 17. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. He said, come follow me and here's what I'm going to do. I will make you fishers of men. And I want you to understand, and we'll see this a little deeper later. He didn't say you're going to have to go to school to be a fisher of men. He didn't say you're going to have to take this class or this background. He said, I will make you fishers of men. Every one of you. I love the story about how Steve Jobs, co-founder of Apple Computers, offered the job of Apple CEO to a guy by the name of John Scully. At the time, Scully was the head of Pepsi, uh, Pepsi Company. He was happy in his position. 
He had no desire to go anywhere else. He liked doing what he was doing. Jobs looked Scully right in the eye and said, Are you telling me that you would rather sell sugared water for the rest of your life when you could lead a company that will change the world? The offer suddenly became very appealing to Scully. And he left PepsiCo and came to work and became the CEO of Apple Computer. It makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, think about it. All things being equal, wouldn't you rather have a job with significance than one without? Of course you would. It's built into who we are. We want to accomplish something in our lives. That's why Jesus' call to Andrew and Simon is so compelling. He told them, instead of fishing for fish, I'm going to help you fish for people. Now understand this. Fishing is not a bad profession. In fact, it was a crucial part of the Galilean economy. Providing food so that the community could sustain itself was an important contribution. Nothing wrong with that. But Jesus promised, you don't need to stop there. I want you to do something more with your life. Follow me and you're going to catch people. You won't spend your life merely supporting the local economy. You're going to invest your life in building the world's community. You're going to have the opportunity to change lives. This is the heart of the promise that Jesus makes to everyone. And I don't care what your age, I don't care what your background, Jesus says, follow me and your life is going to go from mediocrity to meaning. He will help you find significance that you never knew was available. And one last thing I want you to see. Begin today right where you are. Begin today right where you are. Look at verse 18. At once. Everyone say that with me right now. At once. Oh, let's try that again. At once. They left their nets and followed him. At once. That's the phrase I want to just zero in and sit on for just a couple of minutes. They didn't wait. This is an important issue in following Jesus. You start today where you are. Simon Andrew didn't put off anything at all. They didn't wait until their lives were perfect. They didn't wait until they felt that they were worthy so they could follow Christ. They dropped their nets and began to follow Him right where they were. Let me ask you a question. How many of our of you are someplace right now? You're all somewhere, aren't you? Okay. Jesus wants you to start right where you are right now. You know, I've been meaning to drop a few pounds lately. But it's so hard to do when, when I'm out on the road all the time and I, I have to travel back and forth between churches. And so I stop at McDonald's and I stop at all those other health food places. And, and uh, you know, I, I've tried to do this, but it seems like there's always something in the road. My plan was to get really serious about it just a while back when I got done after a year being out in Apple Valley. And, but then some speaking engagements came up. And so there I was on the road again. And so, you know, on the road, you just can't, you know, eat healthy like that. And, uh, and then I put it off a little longer. And then there was our family reunion. Have any of you ever been to a family reunion? I love family reunion. It's kind of like an around-the-clock buffet. I mean, you just... But it doesn't help your diet. And then there was my son's birthdays. 
And then there was our 50th wedding anniversary, and that was a big deal. And now I'm here at Mission Church, and I'm driving back and forth every Sunday. And and, um, so I'm still stopping at those good health food places. And then I come down on Tuesdays to meet with the staff, and then sometimes I come to meet with the board. And, you know, there's always a good reason. I don't really like that illustration at all. But I, I tell it to make this point. You know, that's what we often do in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We keep thinking, I'm going to get serious about discipleship once we round the next corner. Once we finish the next project. Once the next obstacle is out of the way and we keep putting off getting really serious about being a disciple of Jesus. There's only one way to do it. Start today. At once. Don't wait until you're perfect. Don't wait until all your circumstances are lined up in a nice, neat row. It's never going to happen. Just decide today that you'll get serious about following Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus had incredible patience. I mean, amazing, but he didn't have a lot of tolerance for vacillation. Do you ever notice that? Look at Matthew chapter 8, verses 21 and 22. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury bury their own dead. Now, why would Jesus be so harsh on one of his disciples? It sounds as if the man is simply saying, Lord, my father has passed away. So just give me a few days off, and when I get everything together, oh, then I'll follow you. But scholars agree that is not what the man was really saying. He was making excuses. There was no family death. There was no funeral at all. He was actually saying, let me finish my responsibilities at home. Let me wait until my father dies. Let me first receive my inheritance, and then, Lord... I'll follow you. And this wasn't acceptable to Jesus then, and it's not acceptable to Jesus today. He calls us to follow him now. And that means you begin today, at once. Now, I want you to keep something in mind. We have a tendency to think when Jesus said, follow me, it was all about salvation, but it goes way beyond that. He's talking about discipleship as well. You know, some of us, have been believers for years, even decades, but we keep getting, keep putting off getting serious about really following Jesus Christ. Oh yeah, we want to really be committed to Christ. We want to be deeply involved in serving Him, walking with Him every day, devoted to Him in prayer someday. And yet we keep pushing the deadline back, thinking, you know, I'm going to get to this, Eventually, maybe tomorrow, but today is the day. Now is the time. Jesus is calling every one of us here in this room. I don't care whether you're young or whether you're old. It really doesn't matter. He's saying, I want you to decide right now, right here where you are, sitting right where you are at this moment. Leave your nets. Get serious about following me. I want you to listen to those words of Jesus one more time. Follow me, and I will make you 
fishers of men. Isn't it interesting that the first people that Jesus called to follow him were fishermen? The first title he gave them was fishers of men. Big difference. And what he was basically saying to them was, what you are now doing for a living, I can want you to do with your life. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever felt guilty because you didn't witness as well as you thought you ought to? Have you ever felt guilty because, you know, you, you were sitting in a service and it felt like, man, God wants me to go out and, and be an evangelist, but now I'm scared spitless. Or have you ever felt like, well, if I only had more training, if I took this course or that, then I could do it? I think everyone who's been a Christian for any period of time has always felt guilty about that. And maybe some of you are thinking, well, that's where you're headed today. Not at all. I want you to see something here. When Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men, he was saying, I'm going to take you right where you are with your personality. I'm going to take you with your background, whatever it is. I'm going to take you, whoever you are, with your influence. I'm going to take you with your ability and your talents, and I'm going to help you catch men and women, boys and girls, and bring them into the kingdom. In other words, every one of us sitting here today who's a born-again believer, no matter who we are, No matter what our age, no matter what our background, no matter what our gifts and talents, every one of us can be used to make an impact for God in our community. How many of you are grateful today for this building that we're worshiping in? How many of you would rather be sitting out by the freeway in the field? How many vote for here? Absolutely. It's great. And this building is loaded with all kinds of things. I mean... All kinds of 21st century technology. I want to state what I think is probably obvious. Buildings don't reach people no matter how great those buildings are. Technology doesn't reach people. Bells, whistles, gadgets, and all the latest stuff doesn't reach people. Only people reach people. Only people reach people. The truth is... Boats, by themselves, don't catch fish. And rods and reels, hooks, lines, and sinkers, by themselves, don't catch fish. Only people catch fish. And that's why we are in the fishing business here at Mission Church. Now, here's the good news, friends. Every one of you who is a believer is already equipped to be an effective fisher of people. All too often we worry about the methods of of witnessing and the methods of evangelism. But I want you to know that the early Christians didn't turn their world upside down for Jesus, or you might say right side up for Jesus, because they had been to seminary, because they had been to this class on how to lead someone to Christ. Not at all. They simply were Jesus to everyone they came in contact with. They simply lived out the Jesus life everywhere they went. You see, they acted like Jesus. They talked like Jesus. They reached out to the needy like Jesus. They responded like Jesus. They loved everyone like Jesus. That's how you become a fisher of men. That's how you become an effective fisher of men. 
You see, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to understand that every day, Jesus Christ wants Mission Church of the Nazarene fishermen and fisherwomen to launch out into the sea of humanity around us and go deep soul fishing. Because the church's primary business, friends, is a business of fishing for people. And no matter what else we do, no matter how well we do anything, friends, if we ever get out of the fishing business, we're out of business. Remember that story I shared with you at the beginning today about that life-saving station that turned social club? We don't want that to be our story. But we can't allow ourselves to lose sight of the ministry to which every one of us has been called. You know... Jesus has called us to reach out and love people. And, uh, you know, you may not be the most effective speaker, but how many of you could just walk up to a person and say, Hey, man, I am so glad you are here today. And then he walked, Man, you look good. You've got to be careful there. <laughs> or when you run across someone who has a need... You reach out to that person in need. It bothered me a number of years ago when, when I'd pull up to a stop sign by the freeway and up in our area of Ontario, there, there were a lot of people. In fact, there's a whole area along the side of the freeway where there are a bunch of homeless people just living in tents and stuff out there. And I'd pull up to the freeway and there would be someone who, who needed something. And they were either selling or just had a sign and say whatever they said. And I wanted to give them something, but I wanted to be careful. And so we developed a a simple little ministry. And uh, we called it the Good Samaritan Bags. And we put bags together that had some uh, cleaning products, but, but also a lot of basic foods. And a little gospel about how to accept Jesus Christ. And so our people would just take those with them. And during the week they'd pull up and they would just hand the person that. And it's amazing, a number of people became born again through that experience. But a lot of people had their needs met. And you know, that's all God is calling us to do. He's not calling you to be the most brilliant expositionist of Scripture. He's calling you just simply to love people. How many of you, let's try it. Turn to someone right now and smile at them. Just try it. See, you all look happier now. I feel better now with you looking that way at me. And do you catch what I'm saying? Just be Jesus. That's how they turn the world upside down. And when you go to school, how about just being Jesus to your friends at school? When you go to work, how about just being Jesus to those at work? How about just turning your cheek when someone puts you down? You know... I think if Jesus were here today, he would say, I don't care whether you're a Democrat or a Republican or Independent or whatever. I love you, and I'm here to serve you. I I think if Jesus were here today, he wouldn't care about what your skin color is or what your ethnicity is. He would say, I love you and care for you. You know, the church ought to be the most open place to accept everyone, 
no matter what their background, no matter what their lifestyle. Listen, friends, you can argue people out of the kingdom, but you'll never argue them into the kingdom. You need to earn the right to share the gospel. And the way you earn that right is by loving people. And uh, I want to encourage you to do that. 